Okay, let's talk about some things here. I've been feeling stirred on this for years, um, and I don't think you could ever not be stirred on it, but I want to talk a little bit about the kingdom. And we, um, we get all excited about it because, number one, it's the, it's the new flavor of the season for the last 10 years. You know, it was the, it was the Father's love, which was a renewal of understanding the Father heart of God, and then it became about revivals and every meeting you had um, had to have the word revival in front of it or after it, and then that made it seem like it was, you know, part of the, the new move of God, you know? And, uh, and then we got very funky and we started throwing the word revival fire around. Revival fire, we're going to wait for revival fire. You know what I mean? Every Christian wanted revival fire. You know, I'm having a revival meeting tonight. Fantastic. And then a whole lot of Christians come. And you're like, okay, cool. Well, this is what revival is. It's bringing dead Christians back to life because somehow we sort of died along the way. And then the kingdom came in, and everything was about the kingdom, the kingdom. And what began to frustrate me is that we didn't actually really know what this kingdom is. It was spoken about so much that it was, it became, very, and it is, it's very common. It's very common in our language. But at the same time, it's actually quite mystical, because we really don't know how to attain it. So we use words like, we need to seek the kingdom. And we know that because Jesus said that, but I also believe that we don't even understand, number one, what we're seeking, and number two, what seeking actually is. Um, and so I want to hopefully, through teaching today, clarify some of these items. Um, because it's imperative that there is a manifestation of God's kingdom in, in your life. Well, what I want you to know is that the kingdom is already manifested. It manifested 2017 years ago. And add three onto that as well, because Jesus was alive for three, or he ministered for three years, sorry. So the kingdom was manifesting from the day that Jesus turned 30, was baptized. In, in Western society, we know what that is, what the kingdom is. And so we seek it, we love it, we, 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 we desire it, we want it to come in our meetings, but we don't know what's to come. We think that the kingdom coming is, is, is a fuzzy feeling, possibly, maybe. I don't know what your thoughts are. But my question to you, which is rhetorical today, you don't have to answer it because I'm going to hopefully answer it through reading out scripture and teaching, but what is the kingdom? Actually, what is this thing that we're supposed to be seeking as primary in our life? What is this thing that we so desire as born-again Christians that Jesus taught about and that he modeled out? We know from Scripture, in particular through Jesus' teachings himself, that the kingdom is near, at hand, which means it's right here. It is actually here. It is not yet. And it is coming, which is quite strange. Okay, um, And you can have all of those at the same time. And that's the, the mystery aspect of the kingdom, yet the kingdom is very practical. So if it's at hand, it doesn't mean that it's a mysterious thing. It means that it's attainable right now. Like we can walk, you as an individual can enter into this kingdom right now. And by rights, as born-again Christians, we should be. So what is the kingdom? Isaiah 9, verse 6 to 7 says this, For a child will be born to us and a son will be given to us and the government will rest on his shoulders 
And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end. I love this is one of my favorite verses. There will be no end to the increase of his government and of his peace. I love that. There will be no end to the increase of it, which means it continues to increase. It doesn't say there will be no end to his government and peace. It says there will be no end to the increase of it. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice, with righteousness, from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Isn't that amazing? It's not your zeal that will accomplish it, but it's the Lord's zeal. Zeal is like passion. This is a Hebrew word for passion. Passion. The best word they could, they could find that we could translate into English was zeal. I'm zealous for God. I'm, I'm so passionate about Him that every, I just cannot contain it. I almost become, um, what is it called? ADD. What's it called? ADHD. OCD towards the kingdom. You know what I mean? I have an obsessive compulsive disorder towards seeing the kingdom come. That's, that's probably a good thing. So what is the kingdom? Well, we just read it right now. There's a number of kingdoms in this world. I've been to a few of them. I used to live in one of them. It's called the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. It's a kingdom. It sits under a monarch. I've been to the kingdom of Bahrain. It sits under a sheikh who is also called a king. I've lived in the United Arab Emirates, which has seven emirates, and all, each of those emirates is its own kingdom. There's the kingdom of Brunei. There is the kingdom of Denmark. There's a, the, the king, Denmark has a monarch and many, many others. So when we speak about the kingdom, we've got to be sure, as sure as they were in the day of Jesus, as to what we're talking about. Because in Jesus' day, there were also kingdoms. One of the greatest kingdoms that was there at the time, and which Israel lived in suppression to, was the kingdom of Rome, which was led by Caesar, who was the king. Caesar wasn't his name, it was a title. Caesar was, it was Julius the king, Julius Caesar, Augustus Caesar, Nero became a Caesar. And so you need to understand the dynamic of a man in, 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 in clothing that's out in the wilderness eating locusts and honey who one day stands up and says, repent for the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, they're interchangeable, um, is at hand, is near, or is here, is coming. So he's actually now making a very dangerous declaration because he stands in an environment in, in, a, in, a, in a Roman colony that sits under Roman rule, and he starts to say, repent, which doesn't mean grovel in forgiveness. It means to change your mind's view, because the kingdom of heaven is here. And lo and behold, in walks Jesus. Now, that's a big statement for a man out in the wilderness to make, in an environment where if you began to rise up or made declarations against Rome, will be put to death. And ultimately, John was put to death. He had his head cut off because he was making declarations, and he ultimately made um, a, a call against a woman that was living with her brother's, with her husband's brother, having an affair with him. Besides the point. So it's actually quite simple. It's really this simple. The kingdom is the governmental rule of Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. So Messiah is important. It's very important to understand this, that Jesus is the Messiah. See, John, John sends his disciples to ask Jesus, are you 
him. Are you, are you actually the Messiah? Are you the Messiah in Hebrew means anointed king. You know, that's what it means. So the, you understand that the, the context is that, that Israel were waiting for a king to come back on the throne of David and establish that government that was once Israel's greatest um, national victory, was the greatest borders that Israel had. The, the most land that they had had was when David ruled over Israel as a physical king. And that kingdom under both David and, and Solomon was a picture of what the kingdom of heaven would look like when it began to manifest on earth. Then Israel loses that through stupidity, their own foolishness. It, was, it wasn't, it wasn't um, that they were overthrown by people because they were stronger. Because if you look at history, Israel took out their enemies time and time again. But it was through their own stupidity, their own foolishness, their own disobedience that they lost that kingdom. And others came in and established themselves in their land. This is exactly what happens when the church does not understand what the kingdom is and we begin to, we begin to live under another kingdom. We start to take on the, the governmental structure of the land in which we live. Worse so, we, take to, we, we start to take on the governmental structure of the kingdom of this world, which is ultimately under the rulership of, of our enemy, Lucifer. And so when our countries begin to take on, they, 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 they drift away from the, 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 the ways of God, we begin to mimic another kingdom. And when we as the church want to be culturally relevant, we begin to agree with these ways. And suddenly, we the church are operating outside of God's rulership, God's government, and we ask questions as to why is things happening the way they are? Why do we feel so defeated? Why are are negative things taking place? Why are we not gaining ground? When we look at the history of Israel and we see under, under David's rulership that they took ground, they didn't lose ground, then why when we sit under the king of kings are we losing ground? And it's got nothing to do with the king because there's nothing wrong with our king. So we have to look at something else. And I believe it's us. It's the way we've aligned ourselves, what we're aligning ourselves to. So, Ultimately, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God or the kingdom of Jesus, who is the king, the Christ, the Messiah, however you want to say it, is this. It is his governmental rulership. It's the place where, the rulership, where his rulership is established, where his justice system prevails. This means that wherever in your life you align yourself with the justice system of Jesus, the kingdom will manifest in that place in your life. So they send, John sends his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah? Are you him? Are you the one that's supposed to be coming? And Jesus doesn't defend himself in any way. He doesn't say, even say, yes, I am, which is interesting. He actually says to them, why don't you go and tell John what you see and what you hear? And then he goes on to talk about these things, which I had on my phone. Here we go. I'll read out the ESV here. He goes, and so, so Jesus answers him. He says, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life. And the good news, the gospel, is preached to the poor. That's Jesus' response to the question of, are you the Messiah? 
His response is not, yes, I am the Messiah. His response is, if you can see the manifestation of the kingdom of heaven here, then that's your answer. Now, you need to decide for yourself if I am or not. I'm not going to tell you because the decision is up to John to decide if this is who he thinks he is or who John thinks he is or who Jesus says he is. And so from that, we can look at Jesus and see his life and we can, and we can observe through what we see written in Scripture what the manifestation of that kingdom looks like, what the government system and the justice system of this kingdom looks like. So that we see in, let me just think which book it's in. It's in the Bible. Brilliant. As long as it's in there. I'm trying to think which letter it's in. But, <laughs> but it's Paul that's writing, I know that for a fact. And he speaks about Jesus disarming the enemy. There you go. He disarms him. And, and he takes away his authority and in the midst of that, Paul is saying, speaking about the manifestation of healing and miracles. He's, he's also speaking about disarming the enemy's ability to accuse the believer. And the way that Jesus disarms the enemy is by bringing his justice system. So let me put it this way. In, in, in the kingdom, in God's kingdom, there is no such thing as sickness and disease and depression. There is no such thing as uh, deformities, mental issues, physical, spiritual issues. There's no such thing as disobedient children. There's no such thing as dishonoring spouses. That's just not, that, that, is, that is not in the kingdom. It's not, in, it's not under the governmental rule of Jesus. Okay, so in your life where we do not see that righteousness, because we know that the kingdom of heaven and, and, and is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not, it's not a physical thing. Now, you need to understand uh, the dynamic of that is, um, is in their day, they had obviously rituals that had to do with eating and drinking. He's saying it's not about the kingdom of God. It's not about all these rituals that you as Israel have been doing over, over generations, which were, was a picture and a type of what's to come. What it actually is, is it's righteousness and it's peace and it's joy. And, and let me say this, peace is, is not the absence of war. Peace is the absence of fear. Okay? Because there is war. Well, you, look at, you look at Jesus, peace, uh, the kingdom of heaven doesn't mean that nothing bad is going to happen to you. Well, how can you say that, Brad? Because we're supposed to, well, just look at every one of the disciples. You tell me that nothing bad happened to them. They were all pretty much, besides I think one of them, uh, martyred. So the kingdom, peace, shalom, which we'll go into in a moment, is, is not just, oh, there's no wars and I live in this, this, this la-la land of, of, of skipping around in rose fields. That's just not what it means in any way whatsoever. What peace actually means is I have, no, I have an absence of fear, but it also goes way beyond that because shalom actually means that I have a complete wholeness in my body. So if you, if you have a sickness in your body, it, there is no peace there. So in the Hebrew understanding, peace meant that you became well, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and joy. Joy and happiness are two different things, and we need to understand that because sometimes we're not happy, and it's okay not to be happy in a situation that doesn't call for happiness. That's why you're able to mourn with those who mourn. Mourning is opposite to happiness, but you can mourn in a place of joy. 
Because joy is a state of being. It's not an emotion. See, righteousness, peace, and joy are not emotions. Happiness, sorrow, anger, these are emotions. But righteousness, peace, and joy are states of being. It's how we live. So Jesus' kingdom is righteous. So let me tell you, when, 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 when your child is misbehaving and having bad days continuously, disobeying their parents, and they're just dishonoring you, teachers, other family members around you, there is, there is no righteousness there. And, the, and, and I can tell you right now, there's also no peace there. And I can also tell you right now, there's no manifestation of joy there. And so in that area of my life, I know this. When that's happening, the kingdom is not manifested there. So it's now my job to do what? To seek that kingdom. Okay, so seeking is not looking for something. You see, we've got it wrong with our little game of hide and seek. I'm going to find my little note here. Okay, so... So we understand this. Seeking is this in our understanding. Hey, little girl, I'm going to count to 10 and you go and hide and then I'm going to seek you. I'm going to come find you in a place that you've hidden from me. So that's how we receive it. We go, we've got to seek the kingdom. Okay, I'm going to look for it. But I can't look with my eyes because I'm going to look with my heart. So I'm looking for the kingdom. That's what we do. We really do do that. And then we go, oh, I didn't feel the kingdom come today. Or the kingdom didn't manifest in my meetings. We, we sought, but oh, we sought in vain. Seeking in the Greek, and now you need to understand the Bible. When, when the Bible is written, when it's a Greek language in the Bible, they are coming up with the, the, the none of the Hebrews, none of Jesus' disciples, nor Jesus himself spoke Greek. They were, Jesus spoke Hebrew and Aramaic. And so the New Testament writers were Hebrew and Aramaic people. They weren't Greeks. But what they were doing is they were, were relaying in their language what was being said to somebody who was translating into Greek so that it became a common language that it could spread throughout the known world. So when they're talking, the, the, the writer who's, who's listening is trying to find the best Greek word to describe what the Hebrew action and understanding is. Exactly, the feeling of the Hebrew. Because Hebrew wasn't, an educate, it wasn't a language of intellect. It was a language of, of outward living, and it was emotional and experiential. It was practical, whereas Greek was intellectual. Every Hebrew word has got an, a pictorial action to it. So when you use a Hebrew word, there's actually an action. Love is actually this. Me serving someone, how big is that? So, so, so the action for love is a man or woman bent on their knee serving the person in front of them. We don't look at love like that, we look at it as a feeling. Ooh, I don't feel love today. I don't feel like loving anybody. I don't feel like hugging. No, no. Serving your wife, serving your daughter, your son, serving your husband, serving your company, serving your fellow people in the community is love. Okay, so. The word in Greek, because that's where we got the New Testament, is the word um, zeteo or zeto, however you want to say it. Z-E-T-E-O. And it means this in the Hebrew thought. It means this, to worship, to inquire, to desire, to request something of, and to endeavor. Where is it saying there, looking for something? So worship, desire, the kingdom. Endeavor it. 
inquire of it. So when you seek out the kingdom, you inquire of it. You don't look for it. Is it under there? Well, I didn't pray today, therefore, you know, uh, I seek out the kingdom. Maybe go seek it out. Lord, you know, that, oh, I didn't feel goosebumps up my spine. Kingdom didn't come. I inquire of it. So who do you inquire of? If you want to inquire of the kingdom, then the best person to speak to is to go into the courts and speak to the king of the kingdom. What do you want me to do, O oh great king? Jesus. Not my, not my homeboy Jesus, my best friend, slap on the back Jesus. No, my great king Jesus, what would you like me to do? My older brother, humble respect, my friend, what would you like me to do in this situation? And he will guide you by his? <laughs> it's awesome. We all know. He will guide us by his spirit into what to do in obedience to him to see the manifestation of his government, of his peace and of his joy into that situation so we can live in different areas of our lives in the kingdom and out of the kingdom now that language of you either in the kingdom or out the kingdom as a whole is is null and void now because i can tell you that some of us may have our lives aligned when it comes to our spiritual walk with god in the sense of our church life we've got that kingdom part right but our finances are array we're always struggling. It's always a problem. There's always issues. Never have enough. Always desiring more. The money comes in and out just as quickly as it goes in. You know what I mean? And, and it just seems like there's no peace. Business people and, and Christian business people, sometimes they face it all the time. And then when you get to the root cause of it, it's because they haven't allowed the government of God to come into their business. I know a friend of mine who tithes, I don't know if there's any business people here, but a friend of mine tithes on his business, and his business is set up in a worldly environment. It's not set up as a Christian business. And his business partner is not a Christian, but he said to him, no, this is what we're going to be doing. We are going to give a portion of this towards the work of God, because I believe that that's what God wants us to do. And God is taking care of that business ever since he's had it. He's not a multimillionaire. But God hasn't called him to be. But he's always got enough. And he can always pay his workers. And he can always take care of the needs of the staff members who then love working for him. Why? Because there's a manifestation of the kingdom within the environment of his business simply because he did one thing and he put the finances in order with God's kingdom. Your marriage. Oh, we're always fighting and bickering and arguing and niggling at each other and getting frustrated. Well, listen to this. Why don't you stop for a moment and stop praying for your wife and stop praying for your husband and asking God to change them? And why don't you, as a couple, bring the authority of God? Why don't you bring his righteousness into your marriage? Which will also bring forward his peace. Which will also bring forward joy. It's challenging, I know. It challenges me daily. In the workplace, how are you as an employee? This is a massive challenge for me because I work with the most ungodly of people. But what do I do? Do I succumb to the environment of that business? Sometimes, yeah, I'll be honest with you, I do. And frustration comes and rises and you can ask my wife. It does, why? Because in that area, I, I failed to sometimes bring the kingdom. So then what have I got to do? Do I go home and, you know? moan and complain to my wife or do I actually stop and readjust who I am because at the end of the day it's up to me to seek out this kingdom 
Oh, Lord, change the bosses. Yeah, you can do that. Change the environment. Yes, you can do that. Or you can govern your own environment to start with. And as a born-again Christian, I have ability, which they don't, to enter into the kingdom whenever I want to. They don't, they don't know how to do that. I want to bring the kingdom in my workplace. Yes, it starts with you bringing yourself into the kingdom and then putting yourself in the workplace. Because as we heard someone shout out, the kingdom of heaven is within you. Because the kingdom of heaven is in, as, as Paul says, the Holy Spirit. It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit is in you, then the kingdom of heaven is in you. But you've got to learn how to activate that. Activate it. And you activate it through obedience. Everything you want to know about how to walk and activate anything to do with Jesus and his kingdom is simply this, obedience. And that's what I love about it, is that it, you cannot blame your pastor. You cannot blame your spouse. You cannot blame your boss. You cannot blame... You can only do one thing, and it's take responsibility for you. I love, I love the, the, the teachings of, of um, Danny Silk. You are responsible for you, how you govern yourself. Oh, he rubbed me up the wrong way. That's why I got angry and shouted at him. Well, hold on a second, time out. You can't control him, but you can control you. So until you stop controlling other people and you start controlling yourself, nothing around you is going to change. And how do you control yourself? I obey what the king says, and then I step into that kingdom. However, the kingdom isn't just a state of affairs, like justice, peace, love, and holiness, although it is that, but it's also more than that. The kingdom is actually a community that's made up of four features. And we get this from the story of Israel. Remember, Israel, Israel understood kingdom. They lived in kingdom, sometimes good, and most of the time bad. And then they lose that kingdom physically, and they await a Messiah to come back and physically take over. Now, Jesus came back and didn't do it the way they liked it. He did it in a different way. Hence, it was the, the, the prophet had to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is coming. Change your mind, because it's not going to be a military overthrow. It's going to be a, a galactic spiritual overthrow. Okay? So that's why you had to, we had to change our, our view. And I think today there's repentance taking place because as I'm teaching, I can see that lots are going on and people say, oh, hang on a minute, I know why that's an issue in my life because I haven't succumbed to the ways of God then. That's what repentance is. Repentance is change your view. I'm struggling with this. Brad's just taught something that we believe to be true and hopefully it is because I'm reading out of the scriptures and your mind's going, oh, hold on a second, I need to change the way I've been looking at that situation in my life. That's what repentance is. It's really that simple. Who said Christianity was complicated? It's complicated because we teach complicated messages to the intellect of people rather than teach you a simple message that would actually grip you in a, in a, in a practical manner. So now you can practically walk away and go, I'm just going to change the way I think about that right now. I'm going to ask you, God, to help me with that. Anyway, let's carry on. The kingdom is a community. It's made up of four features which we see through the story of Israel. This is how it's made up of these four things. God... A king, citizens, and land. God, a king, citizens, and land. So we take a look at it as this is brought forward into the new covenant. We have this. We have God, who always sits enthroned above. We have a king, who is Jesus. We have the citizens, which are the followers of Jesus. That's us. And, um, and we have land. Now, now land is, is, is a different situation. It's not physical, geographical land. It's this. It is the very place 
where the citizens of God embody the kingdom of God. Let me say that again. The land is not the physical land. Although the land I own, which I purchased with my money, that sits on a square block in Oxenford, I actually own that land. There's something dynamic and powerful to owning land. Because where you own land, you can actually stamp your authority in that place. That, that means that I can actually bring into that place the physical manifestation of God's kingdom on that land, which I believe if a person walks onto my property that doesn't know God, they can actually walk in and feel a physical manifestation of that in their heart. Because I can actually govern that piece of land. I can't govern Australia. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the prime minister. Imagine we did have someone who was allotted that piece of land to govern from a Christian perspective. Well, then I think we'd feel something very different changing. But in my own home, I can govern that. I can govern that piece of property. I believe that if you rent that property, you also have a least ability to actually shift the atmosphere of that piece of property. Now, when we had this piece of property that we were renting, and I had the testimony come to me just this last week, there was a, we were, we were renting the property as Crossing Point Church up here in um, Helensvale, and when we've now given that up, and, and she, the lady's actually sold it, but she said to me that she walked inside with one of the, the neighbors who used to hear us singing next door because he would come in and do a bit of Sunday office work. And, and, and she took him in there a few times, and she said to me, Brad, I told, he, he, he said to me, when I walk in this property, I always feel something amazing inside me, even though I'm not a Christian. Why? Because we were paying a lease. And when, when, when I was given that, that little bit of land to look after, we were able for that period of time to establish an authority of God in that place. That means that when people walk in, they can feel that kingdom. They can feel that atmosphere of what it looks like when that kingdom manifests. It's the same in your home. Now I believe it becomes the same into an area where God has given you an authority. For me as a project manager in the workplace, I have an ability within a sphere that's been given to me to govern over to bring that spaciousness. Your family, school teachers in a school class environment, you are the authority figure in there. You can actually bring something of that kingdom in there because it's been allotted to you. For It's been given to you as a portion. Place of habitation, a sphere of influence is probably the better way of doing it. The sphere of influence. So, so, so that land or that area, the kingdom comes when the people of God, the citizens of the king who sits under the, the God, God, king, Jesus, citizens, disciples, land, sphere of influence, when we, the people of God, embody that kingdom in that location, that is when that kingdom manifests physically, righteousness, peace, and joy. Always look for those three things. When anyone ever comes to me and they want to talk to me about getting ministered to about something, the, the, my, in my own mind, I'm questioning these three things. Is there righteousness, peace, and joy in these areas? And oftentimes, if they're coming forward for ministry, no, there's not. It could be a physical ailment in their body. If, if physical ailment's the most obvious one. They walk up to you and they've got a dodgy leg or, or, or a disease or whatever it may be. There's something wrong with them physically. You can see it. They can see it. We all know it. But I'm not asking them, tell me what's wrong with you. We all know what's wrong with them, and it doesn't even matter what's wrong with them. The bottom line is whatever's wrong with them is caused from this, that the kingdom is not manifested in that place. 
if it was manifest in that place, there would be righteous peace and joy in that, in that environment. Now here comes the mysterious part that I personally, through, through my own personal experience, have had to live with, and the questions have gone round and round and round and round in my mind for a long, long time now, probably almost yeah, two and a half years, it's gone round and round and round in my mind, and I cannot come to an a intellectual answer for you. And I'm, I've looked for the intellectual answer because we want to give people, you as people sitting out there and me sitting in the crowd, when I'm sitting down, in Western society, we have been taught that we must have an answer for everything. We have. That's how Western society is. No, you must have an answer. I, I, I can't accept mystery. But the Hebrews understand mystery. So I've asked God a hundred thousand times the question and I've got upset with God and gone around the whole mountain that I don't want to go through again to come to the same conclusion he told me before I entered onto a round the mountain journey. And it was simply this, why did that happen? And the answer is this, because the kingdom is now, but the kingdom is also not yet. Deal with it. The kingdom is now. When I see somebody in front of me who's got stage four cancer, which I have seen, or blind eyes, which we have seen, or deaf ears, which we have seen, or cripples in wheelchairs, which we have seen, and I lay my hands on them and declare his justice system upon the body, and they rise up out of the wheelchair, their eyes open, their ears open, or the cancer instantaneously drops from their body, and they are medically proven as well, guess what happened? The kingdom of heaven is now. But when you lay your hands on someone and they're not getting healed, it's because the kingdom of heaven is not yet. And, and it will only come when, I make, when, when this happens. And I love making this statement. Jesus, the king of kings, will return again. That is a declaration of the apostles. That stirred people up. Why? Because he's not dead. He, is, he has risen. None of those people went to, the, went to, the, went to their death as martyrs because they understood this he's not dead he's alive and he is coming again when you make a declaration that the king is alive and he you see we make in western society through evangelical circles through reformed theology we always make the declaration about the death of jesus we love it we sing our songs about the cross and we should because thank you for the cross because the cross brings us who were once dead into life but the scriptures tell me that that when he died we died with him but thank God that he rose because then we rose with him. If he did not rise, we would not have risen with him. And so the declaration is not so much that he died, but also that he was raised back to life. Not only that, but he actually ascended before their very eyes into the, in the cloud into heavenly places. That made him the Messiah. Without that happening, he wasn't the Messiah. He was just a good prophet. Everything about that event of dying, being coming back to life, the coming back to life part meant that he was the Messiah King. He was the one that they had spoken about and waited for for hundreds of years. In actual fact, they were waiting for hundreds. We, the, God had been, had been plotting for centuries, thousands of years. It had been prophesied for thousands of years that this Messiah was going to come. And so when I bring somebody into that place, the kingdom has come, and, because, and it is here. When they don't, it's because the kingdom is not yet, but one day it will, and all of us who are in him will be raised back to absolute perfection. You will be raised in physical body to perfection. He will create a new heaven, and he will create a new earth. 
That's why we don't sit waiting for heaven to come. Oh, sorry, we don't sit waiting to go to heaven. Our job now as ambassadors, as citizens, is to establish the governmental rulership of God primarily in your individual life, secondly, in your first uh, ministry uh, sphere, which is your, your family, your, your immediate one is your spouse and your children, and then your extended family and your friends and in the community of the church, which is the family of God. And we continue to do that and continue to do that, and we labor tirelessly at it over and over again with joy until one day when Jesus decides to return, which he will return, and he will bring with him a new heaven and a new earth. So don't wait to go. Live to bring. Exactly right. Escapist theology, which is a defeatist mentality. We just got to you know, knuckle down and do it. You know, we're just filthy sinners who are trying to get, make our way to heaven or, or trying to keep our way in heaven or, or trying to you know, pay back the, 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 the salvation mortgage. It's, just, it's, it's not, a, it's not a, a mindset that we see Jesus teaching. It's not a mindset we see any of the apostles teaching, by the way, or any of the New Testament writers. And what it does is it keeps you ineffective in bringing his rulership. This is the enemy's plan. I say this time and time again. Satan's greatest plan and his greatest victory in the church is to get you and me to no longer focus on Jesus, but to focus on ourselves or anything else for that matter of fact. Anything that takes your view off of Jesus as completely finishing the work that was meant to be finished, ruling and reigning right now and coming again, anything that removes one of those things or takes your view from one of those things, is not the preaching that we see the apostles teaching. In actual fact, what one of the apostles says is that it, ca it can be classed as a doctrine of demons. Doctrine of demons isn't preaching sat about Satan. Who knows that? A doctrine of demons, wh what does Satan not want? You to focus on God. What does he not want? The manifestation of God's kingdom. What does he not want? You to walk in freedom. What does he not want? You to walk in relationship with your Father in heaven. What does he not want? You to walk under the governmental rulership of Jesus Christ himself. So anything that can take the, 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 the view from Jesus to anything else around you is winning a victory for him. Because the moment you focus away from him towards your issues, and one of those issues can be solving the issues of fighting the sin in your life, the very sin that I believe the scriptures tell me Jesus nailed on the cross and took into the grave with him and left there because when I was raised, I was given a new nature. So I don't know why I'm fighting against an old nature. What I've actually called to do, according to scripture, is to walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It doesn't mean fight against it. It never says do not gratify the desires of the flesh. It says if you walk by the spirit, you will not. So how do I not walk in the old way? I walk in the new way. I mean, how simple is that? Is that hard? Anyone, anyone got a problem with that? Oh, you know, I went out and I got drunk last night. Do you know what you did? You didn't walk in the way of the Spirit. Well, what are you going to do now? Oh, you know, I need to go see the pastor. I need to I go through the course. They're going to put me through. I remember I was in this church. and they, you put a, if, you got, if you got drunk one night, you went on a course. The elders of the church would give you uh, uh, scriptures that you need to read over and then you have to write a little thing about what the, that meant to you and, and that was classed as setting you free and then I, and, and I remember we actually never set anyone free because the kingdom never manifested in people's lives what we actually saw happening is I remember we, 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 we taught Christians how to become experts at hiding their issues 
It was amazing. Because the blokes that we saw getting drunk all the time, after we started talking to them about going on this little course, and you better not do that because it's not God's way for you. And if you do that, that's sin in your life. And then what happened is this, is they stopped drinking in our town. But they drove to another town and they drank there. But they hid it well by having lots of, of mint in their mouth when they sat in the church. And we all thought that we had done a great job of being leaders in that community. Woo, we're setting people free. But the guy's still struggling with alcohol abuse. He's still struggling in his marriage. She's still struggling with you know, sexual morality and so on and so forth. And But they were good at hiding it because we had created an environment of fear. And then one day it dawned on me. It came to me. And it didn't dawn on me through me sitting and going, you know, Brad's got this wonderful, you know, um, high view of, of Scripture. I actually opened the text and I read that exact Scripture. If you have died with Christ, you have been raised together with Him. You are now a new creation. Hmm. Hold on a second. The sinful nature with its passions and desires have been crucified with Christ. Ooh. Hold on. Is this telling me what I think it's telling me? And the Holy Spirit's saying to me, it's right there on the page. You've read it your whole life. How did you miss it? And I began to realize when, this, when I went to that one scripture in Colossians and it said, rules for, I love the way the NIV puts it. The, the subtitle is this, rules for holy living. It's brilliant. I love, I, I love the fact that it does that because the very next thing is it disarms itself. People used to read it. We're going to read out of Colossians, whatever it was, uh, rules for holy living. That's what the pastor would say. And I'm like, hey, Mr. Pastor, yeah. Was that in there when the writers wrote it, or was that like a human person that's written that in there? The subheadings? Yeah, no, that was never in there, so why do we read it? But anyway, let's carry on reading it. Rules for holy living. Well, let's follow these rules, because we want to live holy. Who wants to live holy? We all want to live holy. You want to stop drinking and getting drunk and sleeping around and, I do, I do, I want to be set free. Okay, well, let's read it. Rules for holy living. If you live by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Oh. Well, how am I going to live holy? I'm going to live by the Spirit. Well, how do I stop gratifying these desires of the sinful nature? Well, firstly, you repent. <laughs> you change your view. The sinful nature was crucified. The new nature has come, and the Spirit is given. And to close off this message, it's simply this. The Spirit of God, when we walk in obedience to Him, who is a person and not a feeling or a, a thing or a energy force or anything else around that matter. He's actually a person who is himself God, right? And I walk by that spirit, by him who is my God. He's not your friend on the sideline who you can, you know, bring into the conversation whenever you want to. He is God, and when he speaks, it's not a suggestion, it's actually a command. Nothing Jesus says is a suggestion. Well, I suggest that, you know, it's a command. You get to choose whether you succumb to the command and obey it or not. And if you choose not to, he's not going to force you, but you won't see the manifestation of his kingdom. Because the only way you see the manifestation of the kingdom is to obey the commands of the king. If you break the laws of Australia, guess what happens? You are brought under judgment by the system that Australia has put in place. God's system is simply this. If you don't obey my kingdom, you are obeying another kingdom. I'm not going to judge you for it. What's going to happen is you're going to see the manifestation of the other kingdom you're obeying. Which is not righteousness, peace, and joy. So it's quite simply this. Walk by the Spirit. Kingdom will manifest. Kingdom manifests. God's rulership comes. 
God's rulership comes. Righteousness, peace, and joy is evident in your life. That's really as simple as it is. Amen? I can teach for hours on this, which I'm not going to, because it'll just bore you. And it's right there in Scripture if you, if, if you want to go and read it. So my encouragement, exhortation to you is this. You know, you got, can you pray for me, Brad? Yes, I can. I can pray. We can all pray for each other. That's one thing. But my prayer for you is going to have that much effect as opposed to your obedience, which is going to have that much effect. If someone comes to me, Brad, can you pray for me because I want to walk in God's way? It's fantastic. I can pray until all the cows in the field come home. And, but it's not going to do anything unless you obey what God is telling you to do. It's not my, oh, you know, you've, I've been praying for this. You know, the pastor, they've prayed for me so many times. Every time I go to a new church, they pray and they pray and they pray. Nothing ever happens. Well, well what are you doing wrong? Well, what do you mean what am I doing wrong? Well, have, have you obeyed what God's telling you? Or are they praying for me? Praying me, praying, that's one thing. That's great. They're, gonna, they're, they're praying may encourage you, but go and follow what God's telling you. Amen? So I'm, I'm not going to come, please don't come to me afterwards and pray, can you pray for me to walk in the kingdom? Okay. It's not going to happen today. But what I do want to do is I'm going to pray over us as a community and ask God to lift our eyes again. Okay? So why don't we close our eyes? What we will pray for, by the way, is, is, is when the manifestation of that kingdom comes over issues such as mental, physical, emotional, spiritual. And we'll pray for that right now. So if that is you, you receive that prayer. Father, first I want to thank you. I thank you that your, your, your word is so true. It's, not, it's true for all of eternity. And that you have placed within us an ability by your spirit to understand your word, but, but not only to understand it, to actually activate living in it. And so I ask today for this community, including myself, that we would lift our eyes, we would enter now, even now, as we have through this meeting, into a place of repentance to begin to re-look at things, get our perspective to look upwards rather than inwards. But we repent towards how we've perceived your kingdom and seeking of that kingdom, and we would understand the simplicity of the practical outworking of seeing that kingdom manifest in our lives. I pray that we would learn how to follow the leading of your Holy Spirit and that we would follow you guiding us because you lead us and you guide us into all truth. We know that when your truth manifests, your kingdom is evident. I pray and ask, Lord, on behalf of us as a community that, that our hearts would begin to open today to understanding what could possibly be a new way for us of seeing what this kingdom actually is and how it's outworked in our lives. I also pray over us that you would manifest that kingdom now over those who need um, a healing, physical, emotional, spiritual. Um, if, let me ask this. Let's, let's be real about it. If you, I haven't prayed for sick people for a long time, so I, I'm keen to give it a go, you know what I mean? If you, if you are physically, spiritually, Mentally, and that could mean depression or, 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 or you've got anxieties or fear. That's a mental issue. If you feel unwell, if you have an issue, it can be the smallest of pain to the largest of issues. It doesn't matter to God how big you think your issue is. What matters to him is that his people do not live outside of his kingdom. And if his justice system says that you are to be whole, to have peace, that's what he wants. So all we can do is actually just be obedient to what we see Jesus doing and do exactly what we see.
If that is you, I want you to raise your hand and I want to, to enable someone next to you. Now, you're not going to tell them what it is. Jesus never said, what's your problem? He never asked them, what's wrong with you? He actually said to him, what do you want? I want to get well. The only time I see him approaching someone is he said, that he asked, do you want to get well, is this. The man at the pool, do you want to be made well? Yes, I do. That's all he needed. He never, he never focused on the problem. He, he raised the expectation beyond it. Even John, Peter and John, uh, John were going into the thing, said to the man, look at me. And they don't even ask him, do you want to get healed? They just heal the bloke. So if you're there today, you want healing in any way whatsoever in your body, physically, emotional, spiritual, mental, put up your hand and I want to ask someone next to you, raise your, raise your, you can open your eyes and everyone and find that person and just don't start screaming, just put your hand on them. Just lay your hand on them. This is, this is a, uh, a proactive time. You know, I don't want anyone here that hasn't that's got a hand raised without at least one person with their hand on them. Now we're just going to ask. We're just going to ask. Well, actually, we're not going to. We're not. We're going to ask this thing to go. We're not going to ask God to heal them, right? <laughs> he already showed us in Jesus, and Jesus commanded us to do it. Heal the sick. He didn't say, "Ask me to heal the sick, raise the dead, and cleanse the lepers." He said, "You go and you heal the sick. You raise the dead, and you cleanse lepers." So, so. We thank you first and foremost, Lord Jesus, that you've entrusted with us the authority and power in your name as ambassadors and as, uh, of you and as sons of God and daughters of God that we have been placed, so we've had placed within us your Holy Spirit, that it gives us authority in you and you alone. We know that it's not us who heals. We know that it's by your power and by your name and the power that's in your name alone that, that sickness and disease goes because it is a declaration of your kingdom. And so we stand in you today with our hands laid on those who have come forward to ask for healing and we say to each individual here today in the name and the power and authority that is in that name of the messiah king called jesus that his government come upon your body right now and we declare peace to enter into that area of your life and it drives out everything that is not of peace every bit of chaos Everything that is not righteous, everything that not, does not carry joy, we declare right now in the name of Jesus that that goes from your body, from your mind, from your emotions, from your situation and circumstance. And we declare the healing that is brought to us by that Messiah King. We call that down into your body right now. And we declare that you are made well. You are whole. We speak righteousness. We leave our peace upon you that it may remain there and we declare the joy of God will come upon you and his joy is your strength. And with that strength, we see a turning around of what's in your body right now or over your mind right now, or over your life right now, be cast out and newness of life to come in. In Jesus' name. Father, thank you for the opportunity to preach. I pray that we would walk away today and begin to activate the most simplest of things in our life, which is to obey your spirit and your leading into even the smallest of areas in our life so that we would see a complete manifestation of your kingdom come from the smallest to the greatest so that we would bring honor and glory to you because as we live out your life, we know that you are given all glory, all honor, and all praise. Amen. Thank you, guys. Uh, there's the billies on out the back if you want a cuppa.